listening to SBS on the Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. It is your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Monday, the 3rd of April 2023. Uh, Later, the government says this will be a record year for Australian exports in resources and energy, what that means for shares. But first, to the property market, where CoreLogic says national home values rose 0.6% in March, despite higher interest rates. For more, Raina Bosch spoke with Tim Lawless, Head of Research at CoreLogic. Clearly, the decline was very much in line with interest rates rising, but the stabilisation or subtle rise we've seen now has a lot more to do with supply. We're seeing listing numbers across Australia roughly 20% lower than normal for this time of the year. And then alongside that really low supply, we're probably seeing some spillover into purchasing demand from very strong overseas migration and potentially uh, some renters looking to purchase as well. And finally, uh, I'd say there's also some opportunistic buying happening, especially around the top end of the market where we've seen housing values fall the most. For example, in Sydney, uh, upper quartile values are down about 17%. And that seems to be the segment of the marketplace that's really led this recent upswing through March. Tim, you mentioned Sydney there. Can you explain why that upper quartile is moving so dramatically? Absolutely. Sydney housing prices were up a stunning 1.4% in March, just over the month alone. Of course, Sydney has worn the brunt of the downturn. Housing values were down a bit more than 13%. And most of that drop was concentrated around your more premium suburbs, areas like the eastern suburbs, the lower North Shore, the northern beaches, the inner west, uh, the hills district. And these are well, many in many cases, the same areas that seem to be recording the biggest bounce back in values now. Uh, upper quartile house values in Sydney were up 2% over the month, uh, of course, following a much larger downturn. So, Tim, you mentioned migration a little bit earlier. Can you take us through that in a little bit more detail in terms of the impact that it's having on the housing market? Normally, really strong migration flows through to rental demand, and I'm sure it still is, but with rental vacancy rates across the country generally around 1%, if not lower than that, I think there's a pretty good argument that there's been some spillover from rental demand from migration into purchasing demand. A lot of migrants simply won't be able to find a home to rent, so potentially they're fast-tracking their purchasing decision Uh, relative to, say, history, where you generally see around an 18 to 24-month period where permanent and long-term migrants would rent and then buy, Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that time frame is a lot shorter at the moment with rental markets as tight as what they are. So there has been a little bit of debate about whether this data today does in fact signal a national turnaround. Is that what you're seeing? It's looking like a, a trend's evolving here. I think it's still too early to call the bottom of the cycle, considering what's happening with interest rates and arguably households still have a few more months to go before they see the full effect of this rapid rate hiking cycle. We've also got an expectation the economy will weaken further from here. Um, uh, We'll probably see uh, consumer sentiment remaining quite low as well. So there's definitely some headwinds ahead of the market here. So to call the bottom of the cycle might be a little bit early, but you've got to look at the data and you know, the quarterly trends, especially in markets like Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Perth, is starting to look more and more positive. So it's definitely one to keep an eye on. And finally, Tim, before I let you go, the RBA decision is obviously taking place tomorrow. If there is a pause there, what impact do you expect this to have on housing prices? You'd have to think a pause in interest rates will support housing demand to some extent. Uh, a big factor in less demand in housing or purchasing activity 
is simply low levels of confidence. And uh, we know that when consumer sentiment is low, generally households tend to delay high commitment decisions like buying or selling a home. So you'd have to think a pause and ultimately a, a peak in the rate hiking cycle, probably around the corner, that will inject a bit of confidence back into the economy, which should flow through into uh, more housing activity. Although uh, coming into the winter months is generally quite seasonally slow anyway. So if we do start to see some certainty that rates have peaked, I think the spring season uh, will probably be a fairly strong one for housing activity. Raina Bosch there speaking with Tim Lawless from CoreLogic. Now to oil prices because they surged more than 7% overnight as OPEC Plus made a surprise cut by just over 1 million barrels per day to its oil production. For more, I spoke earlier with Stephen Innes from Spy Asset Management. Yeah, it's a real surprise. I think the majority of the market was expecting uh, OPEC to so-called toe the line here. But uh, I think they had a look at what prices did last week. uh, And I guess they're looking at what expectations are for the U.S. economy, which are sort of pointing to a recession. So um, realizing they have a lot of pricing power in the market right now, given few alternatives, supply alternatives, that is, um, they figured in self-serving interest, let's put a floor under oil prices at $80. And I think that's uh, that's what we're seeing the market uh, reaction today. Yeah, tell us more about that market reaction. How has it flowed through to them? Looking ahead about $7 per barrel onto your year-end forecast, we're thinking around 90 would be our year-end forecast. So we've added another $7 onto that to, to top it up to about 97 So right now, uh, markets are going back and forth, but ultimately we think the direction of travel for oil markets is higher. This will probably accelerate the move to plus 90 quicker than we had anticipated. Okay, given that, is there a threat that this in particular, this particular move overnight from OPEC could add to global inflation? And what are the implications of that? Well, this is it. I mean, everybody was waiting for, well, what's the next uh, shoe to drop here? And I think right now... um Obviously, we're seeing a repricing in in the Fed curve now, but I think there's only so much good news you can actually price into that, uh, especially when we're looking at inflation on Friday. Uh, Sure, it came in below expectations. I'm referring to the PCE inflation, but it's still pretty sticky, right? So we think the Feds are going to hike again this month. Now, I think the Feds become even more in focus because of these elevated uh, oil prices. So it's going to be a little bit of a rebalancing act, uh, in my view, uh, for, for equity markets, for rates markets, and of course, for commodity markets as, uh, as, as we move forward this week. And finally, what does this mean for the average person? Does it really have a flow on effect for things like petrol prices, particularly here in Australia? Well, you know, there's a this uh, elasticity of demand. Uh, and unfortunately, when um, opportunity arises, uh, oil producers are, sorry, Petrol producers are pretty quick to jump prices higher. And unfortunately, that's going to be the case. Uh, They're going to use this as an excuse to elevate prices because they know consumers will continue to drive. And that's the unfortunate side effect of of this is it's going to cause pain to average households. And this is the last thing people need right now because mortgage rates are going up. And this is just another added cost that people just don't want to bear. Stephen Innes there from Spy Asset Management. The Australian share market did rise today up by 0.6% on the ASX 200. I spoke with Elia D'Amato from Stockopedia and first asked him for that market reaction to the OPEC decision. Well, look, OPEC uh, currently make around 31 million uh, barrels of oil a day. So this equates to around three and a quarter, three and a half percent cuts of production per day, which is quite a significant chunk. 
Now, there is some um, uh, good news on the horizon in that we are coming to the Northern Hemisphere's summer season, which traditionally is a lower end demand point um, for oil. But of course, we're seeing economic uh, economic development starting to ramp up globally in a high inflationary environment. So there's going to be push and pull on both sides, particularly with continuing, you know, supply issues from uh, Russia following their invasion of the Ukraine, of course. Look, it's not going to be great for Australian consumers, particularly when considering that, uh, you know, here in Australia, we have Ampol, for example, who's reporting problems at its Lytton refinery facility, which is likely to see refinery margins remain elevated in the short term. So unfortunately, it's a uh, not a great look for the consumer, particularly in the face of what uh, looms to be a potential rate rise soon. Uh, the government has released some resource export data out today, which I found quite interesting. It's ex- expecting a record $464 billion worth of exports uh, from resources this financial year, driven by LNG and thermal coal. But what I found the most interesting is that our export values of all major commodities are actually expected to fall through the 2027-28 with the exception of lithium and copper. So what do you make of this? Oh, look, suffice to say, it's been a cracking two years to be an exporter of energy uh, globally in particular. I mean, you talked on the LNG prices, thermal coal incredibly strong as well as the continued impact of Russia's invasion of the Ukraine filters through the system. Really, I think the general... Um, uh, vibe of the report, as it were, is that we're expected to see some mean reversion. I mean, iron ore, for example, is well down from its July 2021 highs. However, it's still quite high historically, given that it's around uh, 120 US dollars a tonne. So I think what we are seeing is a uh, just slight easing in expectations. Traditionally, though, such institutes tend to be a little cap their expectations somewhat. Um, rather than being too aggressive, with the exception, of course, of anyone um, relating to EVs. And as you mentioned, uh, the value of lithium exports as a significant amount of lithium demand comes online is expected to rise. Now, it's important to note here that this is disconnected from the actual price of lithium because, of course, the price of lithium is expected to ease somewhat as a number of production facilities, not just here in Australia, but globally come online as well. But when you consider the fact that there is such a massive demand looming in the next five years for electronic ve- electric vehicles, sorry, particularly um, as it only makes up still a relatively small portion of the to- total auto market globally, uh, there is expected to be volume increases across the board that should uh, automatically lift the value of exports for that particular commodity. Do you think there's a story there to be told about that move between or from um, old energy, so your coal, into your, your greener energy, given that we are seeing you know, that demand for coal coming down and now your, your coppers and lithiums coming up? Yeah, definitely. Obviously, everyone that's been involved with old energy understands that it's somewhat a, um, a ticking time bomb, a, a game of hot potato, as it were, and you just don't want to be left holding the can when the music finally stops. Well, 
Um, a lot of these coal producers, in particular thermal coal producers, have been paying out very large dividends to their investors, making hay while the sun shines. And notwithstanding the curves that are being imposed by state governments and federal governments, in particular with regards to their ability to sell offshore um, and commanding a lower price here domestically, they're still making exceptional levels of cash. So investors in those business aren't necessarily expecting continued growth as they expect uh, cycle gyrations to eventually revert back to the mean. That's that saying again. But um, obviously they are receiving lovely dividend checks at the moment. And the question will be, will those upcoming dividends be enough to offset um, the potential you know, easing of the business as these new green energies come on board? Because, of course, we know they're commanding so much of the new capital uh, going into these sorts of firms because everyone wants to be part of the future, not part of the past. And very quickly, in this environment, where do you see the opportunities for investors? Uh, look, obviously opportunities can be found in stocks that, you know, basically anyone that can block out the noise. It was an exceptionally strong quarter last quarter. In fact, um, it was the US's best quarter since the COVID reset. So a lot of these commodity stocks, which have seen big pullbacks on the back of the sell-off that we saw in late January and February, are very much um, providing great uh, value at the moment. Our well-capitalised banks are very much insulated from a lot of the fear-mongering that's occurring offshore and uh, unfortunately their prices have been caught up and therefore are reflecting good value right now. And I think no better evidence than the IT sector when you look at all the merger and acquisition activity that's occurring in that space by firms that have more than a five-year time horizon. They're suggesting that there is value to be found in that space and we tend to agree, uh, provided of course they can meet that cash flow positive benchmark that many of the, many of them have set themselves for the next 12 months. Elio D'Amato there from Stockopedia. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.